Tonight we begin with verse 3 of Romans 12. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think how? Soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now handle it from a, the religious point of view first. They always take that center section out of there. And that's the one when you stand up and you're really convinced of your product and you start really talking about the greatness of God and all of that, someone's going to come to you and say, well, you're conceited. That's what they're going to call you. They're going to say, well, you're conceited. You think you've got the curb on all truth will be something else they'll use. Then they'll come along and say, well, you act like you're the only one who knows anything about the Word of God. You're the only one that ever rightly divides it. And then they'll quote this to you about not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, so stay humble. And then they'll put one more verse with it, let him who thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he go flat on his nose, fall on his face. They'll give that to you to try to bring you down to a level of their unbelief. They'll use it to degrade you. When you see the truth of this in here, it's just the opposite. Because the true meaning is you ought to think like you ought to think. You ought to think God's thoughts. You ought to be thinking right at the top level. But that's the religion side. We'll now get to the truth of it when we really work it. The first word that makes a tremendous impression on your mind is the word grace. For I say through the grace given unto me. Grace is divine favor. This way down, God demands. It's not earned. It's not worked for. It's nothing that you can ever do at all. Then it's no longer grace. Then it's works. And we have just seen from Romans, previous in all these chapters, that the works of Israel and everybody else's didn't amount to a hill of beans and a hailstorm. It was God who stayed faithful, not Israel. Sunday night I taught at Philadelphia, and by God's mercy and grace I was tremendously guided and inspired. I showed them from God's word that originally God began with an individual, Adam. After he blew it so royally, he finally got around to a nation, Israel. Then, when they blew it so royally, God had kept a secret from before the foundation of the world, and that greatness of that secret was that he was going to have a household that no longer could blow it so far that they'd ever get out of being his children. <laughs> That's right. And I developed that theme then. But the thing here is grace, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, Greek word. And that means favor of God, perpendicular, God to man, not of any works of man, not of any works of man, but of the love of God. Like your earthly family, because you love your children if you're a wonderful father, you love your children, even if they blow it, you love them. That's grace. You continue to let them use the automobile even though they forgot to turn the corner or something. Uh, that's grace, divine favor, God to man. It's a tremendous... That's the first thing in verse 3. To every man, to every one is the text. Every one what? Every one believer. Every believer. Every believer that is among you. Now, if you'd like to, you could make that inner part a parenthesis, starting with the word not. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but end a parenthesis. And it would read, verse 3, now watch your Bible carefully, 
to every man that is among you to think how soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. There it is. Now that grace, divine favor given to every man that's a believer born again, and that believer is to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. It opens with grace and ends with grace, that verse. Who did the dealing? God. By grace, God hath dealt to every man. God dealt it. Well, if I'm the dealer in a card game, who does the dealing? I do. If I did the dealing, I'm the dealer, right? I put the cards around. Well, God did this dealing. It's his hand. He did the dealing. God did the dealing. Given unto every one that's among you, every believer, God hath dealt to every man, every one that's a believer, every one, the measure of what? Acts says that God is no respecter of what? If God would give you more than he would give to her, then he would be a respecter of what? God would give him more than he gave me, he'd be a respecter of persons. If he gave one religious group more than another, he'd be a respecter of persons. Through the grace to everyone, God hath dealt by grace, not that we deserve it, but by what? Grace, grace. God hath dealt to every man by grace. The measure of what? Faith, that's right. Boy, oh boy. You just can't ever think that you got anything from God by works. Because if you did, that would be the parentheses in that verse. You would think more highly than you ought to think. If you ever think you got it by works, that would be high-mindedness. That would be selfishness on your part. No matter how refined it may appear, how educated it may look, how wealthy you may be, or socially or religiously acceptable to the senses man or the world, it still would be high-mindedness. It is works set against grace. See it? The verse opens with grace and ends with grace and has just a little parenthetical phrase in it regarding works. If you ever got the idea that you got it by works, then you would think more highly than you ought to think. That's the accuracy of that verse. Now, it says to think soberly. See that one? To think soberly in the text means to think with your whole, W-H-O-L-E, mind. Literally, a healed mind. Making sound judgments. Also, it has the word sensible. Discreet is another synonym. So you're to think with a healed mind. Well, a healed mind is a mind that is renewed according to the word. It's of grace, not of works, lest any man should what? See it? That's a healed mind. That's a sensible mind. That is a mind that discreetly recognizes the truth of the greatness of what God did. I wrote this along this line, an estimate of oneself according to and in the light and truth of the revealed word. That's to think soberly. Jesus Christ did it. He said, I and the Father are one. 
John 15. 15, 15. Henceforth I call you not what? For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things, here it is, that I have heard of my Father, I have made known, declared, explained unto whom? You, see. He thought soberly, Jesus Christ. Think soberly. He thought with a healed mind, sensible, discreet, sound judgment. See it? All the things I heard of my Father, I made known unto you. That's thinking soberly. To think soberly is to think that you have and you are what the Word of God says. You have and are. That's to think soberly. Also, in John chapter 4, John 4, verse 34, Jesus saith in verse 34, and by the way, the word S-A-I-T-H is not saith. How do you spell saith? S-A-Y. That's right. This is not S-A-Y. It is S-A-I, right? Well, look at it. What it is. It's pronounced the same as if it was spelled S-E-T-H. Thus saith the Lord. So from now on when you read it, I want to hear it read accurately. 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat, my food, my desire, what I eat, is to do the will of him that what? And to finish his work. See? That's thinking soberly, not high-minded. That's thinking right on. In chapter 6 here in John, we got the same truth. 6, 38 is the note I made. For I came, 638, down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that one sent me. That is thinking soberly. That's thinking right on. Discreetly, sound judgment. That's what Romans 12, 3 is talking about. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think how? Soberly, see? With right judgment, whole mind, healed mind, according, according as God hath dealt, God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And that is absolutely beautiful, the measure of faith. The measure of faith. God did the dealing. Now what he dealt, according to Romans, by grace to every believer is the measure, is the measure. Well, if every believer has that measure, then every believer has the same amount of whatever is in the measure, right? then you have the same as I have. I have the same as you. has to be, else God be a respecter of what? Now all we have to do is find out what the measure is, which we're going to do. But think for a moment. Why then is it that some people as believers manifest more of that measure which they have received than others? Same reason as some people manifest more of other things than others because of their believing or utilization of it. God's no respecter of persons. Then if you manifest more of what's in that measure than I do can only be because you believe more. And the only reason you could believe more would be you've been taught more or secondly, I refuse to believe what I've been taught. Can't go beyond what you're taught. Can't believe beyond what you're taught. Boy, and right there I think again of how far below par the born-again Christians live. Because they're never taught. They're born again okay. 
but they're not taught what's in the measure. They're not taught what they've got. Instead of teaching them the truth of what they really have in Christ, they take the middle part out and say, now don't you get too proud. Don't you get too haughty. Remember, God will make you sick to keep you humble. You got to take it of God. And when your best friend gets killed, that's of God. They teach all that damnable stuff just contrary to God's word. And that's why you just don't hardly see anything today among so-called Christian believers. They've never been taught the accuracy of the word. And when I look at that, I point the finger back to those of us who are clergy, who have gone through the so-called proper but improper schools. And we are responsible to the people to whom we minister. And we will have the greater condemnation because we set ourselves up as leaders of denominations or church groups in pulpits, in communities, and we are not feeding the people the word. Just like a shepherd that would lead his sheep astray. Doesn't do it intentionally, but he does it because he just doesn't have the knowledge or desires to have the knowledge. It's like the blind leading the blind and both falling into the ditch. That's why our ministry of the way is so important in our day and time. Because we do, with the greatest of our abilities, share that word. Then you've got it. Now what you do with it, your baby. Whether you believe to do it this week or you cop out, that's your responsibility. You'll never be able to say, never be able to say that you have never heard the word accurately. You'll never be able to say it. Romans 12, 3. You'll never be able to say it. If you live to be as old as Methuselah, you won't be able to say it. That's right. God's grace, the measure of faith, the measure of faith. Now, measures vary in size. Here I got a cup of coffee. That's a measure. You can't put any more coffee in there than the size of the cup. Now, some of you have big mugs. That measure would hold more coffee, right? Okay, so when God's Word talks about the measure, you've got to find out the size of it. You've got to find out what's, and there are varying measures in the Word. Sizes. But here God is talking about what he dealt to every man that's born again. The measure of faith. Okay, John 3. Boy, I said to someone this afternoon, I'm so electrified about the simplicity and the greatness of the word. I wish the whole world could be tuned in tonight to hear what you're hearing. But boy, this is the greatness of some of the word. Boy, oh boy, did I say John 3, 34. Here it is. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of what? Who was the one he sent? Well, that's right. It's what he's talking about in here. See? Jesus Christ. Speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto what? Him. He didn't give the Spirit by measure unto Jesus Christ. Took me many, many years of research to get the answer to that one. It's real simple. The Word of God's so simple. You know, I amaze myself at my stupidity of not understanding the simplicity at times. How could I be so dumb and not see it? He didn't give the Spirit by measure unto him, which literally means that everything that was available when Jesus Christ was here upon earth, Jesus Christ had. And knowing the Old Testament, the prophets of God, many of them 
had a tremendous word of knowledge and word of wisdom. Many of them had great signs, miracles, and wonders. Others had the spirit where they were great men of prophecy. But Jesus Christ had the full measure of everything that was available, and that's the measure. That's what he had. That's all. But he's the only one who ever had the fullness of it. John the, the Baptist was born filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. He had this abundance, but not in the full greatness that Jesus Christ had it. He had it, not the Spirit, by measure, which means everything God had available, he made available to Jesus Christ. That's the measure, what he had. John the Baptist was born filled with the Spirit. Jesus Christ wasn't. The Spirit never came upon him until he was baptized by John but that Jesus Christ had more than John the Baptist. Even though John the Baptist says in the word, was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb, that again is God's measure to John the Baptist. That's all he had, but that's plenty. But that is the greatness of it. But Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, when it talks about without measure, he had more than John the Baptist because he had all the fullness that God made available. But Jesus Christ could not speak in tongues. Why not? Then there have to be different size measures. Ooh. Make you think. He could not speak in tongues or interpret because it was not what? Therefore, it cannot have been in the measure. So, if you, let's say, were operating prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, faith, miracles, and healing, like Jesus Christ had in that measure, then the measure that you have would be a greater measure than what Jesus Christ had. Well, don't go home. We're just working it. Ephesians. Ephesians. Chapter 4. These are the things I mean when I say I keep believing all the time that we'll rise up to our believing privileges in the ministry. See, we live so far below par yet, yet we're the biggest living group in the world today, but we're still living so far below par according to the measure that's in us. Ephesians 4, verse 7, unto every one of us is given grace. See, now we're back to grace. According to the measure of the gift of what? Okay, hold it. 13, this goes on now to 13, and it says, until this measure, whatever it is, is until we all come in the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man under the stature, the measure of the stature, here it is, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Cor, when is it? That's it. That's a bigger measure. That's still future. The return then is a measure, which is bigger than the measure we have now. For the measure we have now is the fullness of God in Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is evidenced by nine manifestations of the Spirit. That's the measure. But when Christ comes back, we're going to be like he is. That is a bigger measure. Boy, there it is in Ephesians. See, that verse 7 is the new birth. Verse 13 is the return. Now, look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. 
Verse 26. I have told you what the measure is to you. Now I'm going to show it to you further from the word. Even the mystery which hath been hidden from ages and from generations. But now, but now is made manifest, known, revealed to his saints. And the saints are the born-again believers. Romans, to every man, remember, everyone, every believer that's among you, they're the saints. Now it's made known. Here's what's made known. To whom? To the saints. God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ where? Yes. In you. Christ in you. The hope of what? That's right. That's the mystery. That's the measure. That's the measure. Christ in you. That's the measure. That's in you. The evidence it's like this glass of water. What's in here, that's the measure. It could be poured out. The measure is Christ in you. The indication of it is when you pour it out, evidenced. And it's evidenced by nine manifestations of the Spirit. That's the measure. Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. You see why for many years I dreamed the university of life? Because the same teaching I'm doing with you tonight is what's available in the university of life for people who can't get into the resident core. If you can never make it into the Lake Corps, I'd sure be in the university of life if I wanted to know a little bit more about the Word. I'd find the time to get to God's Word. Find it. You've got time for everything else. You're going to die anyways. You might as well have time doing some of these things. But this is the kind of stuff I'm sharing tonight. You don't read this in any commentary. You can pick it up. All any place I can find it is in the Word. I'm not reading you a commentary tonight. I'm pointing you to the Word and letting the Word speak. That's the best commentary I know is the Word. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Not new to some of you. All things new, verse 18. The word new has to follow the word things. All things new are of God, who hath, past tense, reconciled us to himself by whom? And hath given to us the ministry of what? Now, if you understand the measure of faith that's already in you, that measure is the faith of Jesus Christ. That's the measure. Christ where? In you. Verse 19. Look at it. God was where? In Christ. God was where? Now, what did Colossians say? Where is Christ? Where is God? God in Christ in you. Now there flips a verse in my mind. It's got to be in Ephesians where it says we are filled with all the fullness of God. Where is that in Ephesians? Is it 3.19? Filled with all the fullness of what? That beautiful? It sends chills up and down my spine when I even teach it. It's just so shocking, just so dynamically real that the adversary has talked everybody out of it. Nobody believes it, hardly at all. But people, if that's not true in God's word, how can you trust any other word of God in the Bible? How can you trust John 3.16 if Ephesians 3.19 is wrong? If Colossians 1.27 is wrong? But you see, the adversary doesn't want you to know who you are or what you are. He wants to keep us stupid. 
Because as long as he can keep us away from the word, he keeps us away from the power of God. For the word is the power of God, not VP Werewolf, not Johnny Jump Up. The word, the word, the word. Core, it is written. It's written, it's written, it's written. Core. Boy, look, it's so simple. God in whom? Christ in whom? Then you've got to have God in Christ in you. That's the measure of faith. That's the measure you got, man. What you sitting around for and condemning yourself? What are you sitting around for and thinking of what you did 20 years ago or 10 minutes ago? Why not believe what the Word says and start walking again? Breathe deep, throw your shoulders back, and walk like a son of God. God in Christ, in you, the hope of glory. Guaranteed hope, the return. Don't you understand? Ephesians, I showed you the new birth, showed you it's here until the return. Then we're going to have a bigger measure. Well, baby, I want to tell you, this isn't bad. <laughs> People always look at sin and they see so many things. I see it in the light of living below par that I don't rise up to the greatness of the believing privileges I have, denying God's word by not building up. That, to me, is a far greater sin than all the rest of the junk most people ever think about. Look at this. God in Christ, I'm in verse 19 of 2 Corinthians, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Not, you know, once we repent, once we confess our sin, the Bible says God casts it from us as far as the east is from the west and as deep as the deepest sea, and he'll remember it no more. Am I right? Well, core, if God doesn't remember it, what do you want to remember it for? You know why? Because the devil wants you to remember it. Because if he can keep you remembering, you'll never live with the greatness of the power of God. He's got you hooked. Number one, kill you. Number two, kill the word. And he has killed the word for most people. That's why most Christians are nothing but spiritual zombies by grace making it to the return. Because he has forged the word so many places that it's taken me almost 40 years to just dig out a little of it again and see the truth of it, not imputing their what? And he hath committed unto us. He's committed it to us. God does the dealing. He committed it to us. The word of what? Then who has the responsibility for the word? If we don't do it, God's never going to do it. God's not going to do it because God did the dealing. And God said he gave it to you. Then why don't you talk the word? Well, your business associate don't like it. doesn't say that in here, your business associate don't like it. It says he's committed us the word. Otherwise, you're high-minded. That would be high-minded selfishness, no matter how refined, how educated, how wealthy or how socially or religiously acceptable to the census man or world. He is committed to us. The word, the word is what brings to pass the ministry. The ministry is ours, but the ministry would be no good without the word. It's the word. It is written. The word. That's why verse 20 says, now we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors for whom? Right. We're ambassadors for Christ. Boy, you ought to, man, breathe again. People, true Christianity is the only thing that makes it possible for you to breathe. We are ambassadors for Christ, and we get people reconciled to whom? That's what it says. 
I'm back in Romans 12. <laughs> you see why it takes us a little bit of time to go through Romans? Do you understand now that the measure varies? Different measures in the Bible. The one we have now is the greatest God has ever done to this time. Something Jesus Christ did not have in the measure. We got a bigger what? Because of him. But there is still a bigger measure coming. That's the return. Those are different measures in the word. Now, verse 4 through 8 is the vital unity and harmony in the household. That's what it's all about. See, God's dealt to every man the measure of faith, so every believer has Christ in him, right? Evidenced by the nine manifestations of the Spirit. That's the measure. Okay. Now, if you're born of the same seed I am, you're my sister or my brother, right? In the earthly family, right? Okay, if we're born of God, having Christ in us, then we have the same what? Father. Then we are brothers and sisters. And the family makes up the household. Now, whenever a family member splits out, the household is hurt, but he's still part of the what? Family. But it's the household God's after. Don't you understand? He's just not after a family. You know, families come along like in, in the human family. You just got pregnant and had a baby. But... To make it a household means that that baby grows up and stays put with the father and the mother. Boy, this is so simple, kids. But it's so revealing and so beautiful. Verses 4 through 8 are the vital unity and harmony in the household of God. Now, these verses 4 through 8 in order to teach these to you, the best thing I know that's written, and this is all I know about it, basically, is in the Holy Spirit book. Receiving the Holy Spirit today, and that's where I'm going to go now. And you ought to get your Holy Spirit book out and work it again for yourself. Because in order to understand verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, you're going to have to understand 1 Corinthians and Ephesians because all of this tonight will fit together like a hand in a glove before I quit. It just has to, and it does, because it's God's Word. Receiving the Holy Spirit today, we now proceed in the next section of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, which is an illustration of the first 11 verses. And this is verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Four, four. And the word four has a footnote that says, four sets these verses in correspondence with verses seven and 11 progressively. Verse seven gives the manifestation of the Spirit, nine in number, as God's will for every believer, no respecter of persons, remember? Verse 11 shows the believer will only manifest as many of these available nine as he wills to manifest. Then in verses 12 to 27, the members are again as many of the nine manifestations, verse 7, as the man wills to manifest, set, in correspondence with verse 11. For as the body, verse 12, is one and hath many what? And all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is whom? For by one spirit, Panuma, are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, Panuma. 
For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? In other words, if a member in the family says, well, I'm not a member of the household, is it therefore not a member of the household? If the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, you know, I'm not the body, is it therefore not of what? If you would say, well, I, I'm not sitting up there and teaching, therefore I'm not part of the body, or I'm not a twig leader, I'm not part of the body, or I'm not the limb leader, I'm not a branch leader, is it therefore not part of the body? If the whole body were a teacher, what a lousy trick. <laughs> Somebody said to me tonight, how are you? And I said, I'm wonderful. I said, if I was any better, I'd be two people, and that'd be bad for the world. <laughs> hey, if the whole body were an eye, where'd be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where'd your nose be smelling? But now hath God said, God said, even in the physical body, you're you know, that beautiful thing I see out there, you. God said in the body, God has set the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him, physically and spiritually. We talk about people being all thumbs. It's a figure of speech, isn't it? And if they were all one member, where were the what? But now are they many members, yet but one what? Isn't that neat? Now remember, I'm dealing with the vital unity and harmony of the household. And the eye cannot say in the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I don't want you around. You stink. have no need of you. Nay, much more, much more, those members of the body which seem, they aren't, they just seem to people, to be more feeble are what? That's right. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism, no schism in the body, no break. That's a schism. Break it. No schism in the household. No schism in the body. Well, that sends tears to my eyes when I think of it. They leave the body and start their own group going. The word says, no deal. No deal. There are not to be any schisms in the body. So somebody's getting things screwed up someplace. The members should have the same care one for what? And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. When one person splits out of the household, the whole household hurts. Okay, take your family, your earthly family. You've got a wonderful son or daughter, and you're a wonderful daddy, and that son tells you to go to hell. What do you feel like as a father? He's still your son, but you don't feel good about it, do you? The whole family then is hurt. Not only you, but the rest of brothers and sisters. Household of God, same way. Now ye are the body of Christ. You are what? Body of Christ. You've got a physical body. What controls a physical body? Your left toe? Your head. Your head. We're the body of Christ, and to have a body, you have to have a head. And the Word of God says Christ is the head. So who do you take orders from? And you get it from his word. You don't take orders from a commentary or the New York Herald. This entire section, verses 12 through 27, is an illustration using the human body to present the same truth that applies to the spiritual body, which has been set forth in the opening 11 verses of this 12th chapter. Verse 12 and following proceed to show how the church is one body and every member is complete as one in that body, but that every member, however, 
is a particular member of the whole body. What a paragraph. Verses 28 to 30. God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts, charismata of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts, charismata of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Verses 28 through 30 are an expression of the truth that every part, every believer has a specific ministry to perform, but without the whole body, all the manifestations could not function. After all my years of working the word, I see no way where I could improve on writing that stuff. The critical, unbelieving believers. You get that? They are what? Believers, but what kind? Right. They have tried to expound this verse mainly to degrade speaking in tongues. They have said speaking in tongues is the least important Therefore, God put it last. Such logic is almost unforgivable. If you should happen to be the last child, the youngest in the family, would that make you the least important? Somebody or something has to be last. Just because something is last in a list does not carry with it the quality of being the least or unimportant. In writing as well as speech, we often read and hear, quote, this is the last and final point. But allow me to remind you, it's not the least important, end of quote. Or, quote, last but not least, end of quote. God's word is no less God's word in importance simply because something is last. It is equally God's word. You cannot write two things at once. One must be first in a necessity, another must come later. Surely God's word needs a more honest survey than that which these critics have given it. Let us examine carefully what verses 28 through 30 teach. They're full of truth and instruction to those who will to learn. A literal translation of verse 28, according to usage, would be, So God has placed some in the church, having the ministry of apostles, prophets, and teachers. There are some who minister more effectively as miracle workers, some who are very effective in ministering the blessings of healings, some who are very adept in ministering as helps and governments, and some whose ministry is diversity of tongues. The Greek word for diversities is genos, G-E-N-O-S, meaning kind, K-I-N-D. People having a ministry of diversities of tongues do not use one tongue exclusively, but rather they are adept at bringing forth a variety of different tongues. This is using tongues in a more comprehensive sense. That is the sense described by the word genos. Verse 28 is God's plan for ministering in the church age in which age we are living. I know of no passage of scripture which nullifies this order for the church of which you and I are a part. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 4, 8 through 18, helps to clarify the charismata spiritual abilities manifested in the census world as ruling ministries in the church. Also, Romans 12, 4 through 8 casts much added light on this misunderstood subject. Here's Ephesians 4, verse 7. But unto every one of us is given what? according, grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. The word gift there is not charisma, it is doria, doria of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts. Again, it is not charismata, it is doma, D-O-M-A, gifts, in verse 8, unto men. Parentheses, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that what? Ascended. Up, 
far above all heavens, that he might fill all things, and parentheses. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, building up of the body of Christ, until or till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of what? That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in what? Love. Grow up. May grow up. Grow up into him in all things. Who is the head? Even who? There it is. From whom? The whole body. The head, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure, there's the word, of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying, the building up of itself in what? This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And that vanity of their mind takes me back to think soberly, not to think, remember that, Romans? Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their what? Heart. The word gift, in verse 7, I told you is Doria. That word is a benefit to the individual. I'm the individual. It's a benefit to the individual. The word gifts in verse 8 is the Greek word doma, D-O-M-A. As such gifts, doma, they are benefits on an horizontal plane to the church. Remember I teach you can't ever give anything if you haven't got it? There it is again in the word doria, benefit to me. Doma, benefit on a horizontal level to the believers. The Greek word charisma or charisma is a gift of God by grace in a perpendicular way and not a doma, not a benefit on a horizontal plane unless put to use put into practice or operated by the believer. There it is. That's a fantastic paragraph. The charismata, spiritual abilities. By grace are ye saved. Remember, it's Christ what? The measure of faith evidenced by nine what? Okay. There are the spiritual abilities. Your spiritual abilities. The charisma, spiritual abilities, as doma gifts. Doma gifts are to or for the church. And they are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for ministering benefits to the body of Christ, thus perfecting the saints. That's Ephesians. Now we go to Romans 12, verse 4. For as we have many members in what? One body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in whom? He's our head. And every one members one of what? Another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy, according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on what? Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it how? He that ruleth with what? He that showeth mercy with what? Right. The verses just quoted are the same charismata, spiritual abilities given by God to man, 
becoming doma ministries in the church as the believer operates them. Chapter 12 of Romans, from verse 4 on, gives the operator and believer specific instructions, not only as to the ministries, but also as to the conduct of his own life. Romans 12, 4, the word office means function, naturally on a horizontal level. All members in the body have not the same function on a horizontal level. 12.6 You then in the church, having charismata, spiritual abilities and functions, differing according to the divine favor or friendly willingness of God that is given you, if it be a ministry of prophecy, keep busy manifesting by prophesying according to the proportion of your believing. I want to show you something that I checked out today on this verse. That is the word proportion, according to the proportion of your believing. Faith in King James, but text-wise believing. The word proportion is the Greek word analogia, A-N-A-L-O-G-I-A. There's another word closely associated, analogos, L-O-G-O-S. Logos is translated word in the word. Analogos. We get our words like analogy from this word, spelled just like it. Analogous is another one, analogous. Another word comes from it. The reason I'm taking this time is I did not believe my core understood proportion, so now I want to explain it, deepen it for you. It means, proportion means similar properties but not identical. Analogia, analogy. Similar properties but not identical. In the field of biology, like birds have wings, insects have wings. Similar but not what? That's analogia, proportion. Now verse 7, Romans 12, 7, this is literal again, according to usage. Or if you have another type of ministry, get busy ministering. Or if your ministry is teaching, get busy doing what? Or if you have another exhortation ministry, get busy exhorting. Romans 12, 8 should now begin. He that giveth forth in any ministry in the church, let him do it with what? Simplicity. He that has a ruling what? Let him do it with diligence. And he that has a ministry making him very adept in mercy, let him do it with cheerfulness. All the instructions following these verses are on behavior, that's conduct, that's ethics of believers. All the verses following now, from verse 8 on, now just quickly look at verse 9, let love be without what? That's conduct, see it? Behavior. Christian ethics can be kindly affection. See it? Chapter 13, let every soul be subject unto what? See, we're still ethics, conduct, behavior. Chapter 14, him that is weak or immature in the faith, receive ye not the doubtful disputation. Still what? Conduct, ethics, behavior. Chapter 15, we then are strong, or to bear the infirmities of what? Still behavior. Still behavior. And it ends up with verse 33 of chapter 15. The God of peace be with you all. And then we go to the final chapter in Romans sometime. And then we'll pick up something that is not specifically behavior. Can you imagine? God setting all of this 
in verse 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. And then God's word taking from verse 9 of chapter 12 all the way through chapter 15 just to show the behavior of the one who's got all that. It blows my mind, kids. By the time I'd most likely count the verses and then count even the individual words to see how much God, time God spent now to elucidate, to clarify, to fully make known the action walk of a believer, the conduct of a believer, the ethical walk of a believer. That's why I said this whole section on Romans 12, 4 to 8, is the vital unity and harmony in the what? Household. There it's stated. Now the action to be carried out to keep that vital unity and the harmony in the household begins with verse 9. I just want to show you one more thing about verse 8 from Romans 12, or two things. It is the word simplicity. Let him do it with simplicity. I don't know if you really understand that word, but I'll show it to you with the best of my ability. First of all, the Greek word is haplotes, H-A-P-L-O-T-E-S. That's the Greek word. Haplotes, to be happily liberal or liberally happy. He that giveth, do it liberally and be happy about it. Don't just give your last $5 and say, well, I sure hate like hell to give that. <laughs> or boy, I don't want to give my life to that lousy drunk over there. Well, if you're giving it, if at any time you're giving it, boy, that word simplicity is just dynamite. It's hoplotes, happily, liberally. Not selfishly. Never in the essence of what can I get out of it. I give to you, but I'm really not giving to you. I'm already thinking, if I give this to you, what do I get out of it? That's verse 8. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Happily, liberally. Not with what can I get out of it. That's selfishness. That takes you back to Romans. Think soberly and high-mindedness. See it? Boy, I'm telling you, God's got this thing tied up so tight. It's beautiful. He that ruleth. The word ruleth means presideth. He who presides. And uh, the ministries of apostles are men that will have to rule. They'll have to preside. We'll see that in the 13th chapter when I get to it. If he does that, he does it with what? Diligence. And he that shows mercy, he does it how? With cheerfulness. And that Greek word is remarkable. It is the word hilarotes, H-I-L-A-R-O-T-E-S, from which we get the English word hilarity. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? If you're showing mercy to someone, then you do it with hilarity. Have a big barrel of fun doing it. Mercy is withheld judgment that you got legally coming. Now, if you really ought to sock it to someone, but you don't sock it, you show mercy to them instead of socking it to them, do it with hilarity. Do it with cheerfulness. Isn't that a beautiful thing to say? He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, hilarity. Just a barrel of fun showing somebody mercy. You know why it's so beautiful and easy to do? Because all you have to remember, number one, is Romans 12, God's grace. When you can really remember God's grace to you, 
you will never have any difficulty showing mercy to a fellow brother or sister in the family or household of God. Friends, I sometimes say to you people, have said it time and time again, if I remember what God forgave me for, then I have no difficulty in forgiving you. But when I get conceited and proud and forget what God gave me for, then I become critical of others. And remember the illustration that criticalness, it means I point one finger at you, I point three back at myself. That's why all I remember is the grace of God. Then I can be merciful with hilarity, cheerful with hilarity to my brothers and my sisters. This grace and mercy is so important in God's word that even in my present Bible, after all these years, I think I still got it written here someplace. Hope so, or else I have to find a new Bible, I suppose. This is my Bible. One of you, I forget who it was, asked me if I'd sign your Bible, put my John Henry in it. I refuse. I never sign anybody's Bible. And I told you, where are you? There you are. And I told you that there are a lot better writers in the Bible than VP. That's why I never write my name in anybody's Bible. I'll sign my own books like Receiving the Holy Spirit. That's not the Bible. That one I'll sign. But there are a lot better writers in what book you're holding than I am. And I just could not give myself to signing your Bible. Well, how'd I get on that? Grace equals, I write my own Bible. God's unmerited favor. Mercy equals God's withholding merited judgment. Grace is unmerited favor. Mercy is withholding of merited judgment. And that's mercy. He that showeth mercy, you do it with hilarity.